Well, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And I don't really need to say anything else. I could leave the stage because that's what it's all about today. That's what it's all about every single day of our lives, that we have hope. We, have a, we can have a relationship with God and that God wins, love wins, love triumphs, and God has triumphed over sin, over death, over hell, and over the grave, and the resurrection is proof that Jesus and God is greater than everything, and that He loves us. He is risen. He is risen indeed, and I hope that you just rest in that fact today. I hope you celebrate that love, and if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus in your life, we want nothing more than for you to make that decision and for you to understand the love and the depths of the love that your Creator God has for you. There is nothing better in this life. So much of this life is unfair. So much of, so much of this life is unfair. And I remember the very first time I had to come to grips with the unfairness of this world. I always was told growing up, that life isn't fair. But I remember being in middle school, I believe it was seventh grade, and we had two different teams. We had two different teams in our middle school. So they divided the grade up in half, and this half had this set of teachers, and this half had this set of teachers. And it was time for the field trips. It was time for the field trips. And field trips up to this point had been something that were always celebrated. It was exciting. We got to leave school for a day. It was, it was fun. And then we found out that our field trip for our team was going to the wastewater management facility. <laughs> a poop plant. That's where they were taking us. They were taking us to the wastewater management facility where all the sewage from Summit County, which includes the city of Akron in Ohio, all the sewage goes, and we had to tour the facility, and we had to bring a picnic lunch. Have you ever tried to eat a picnic lunch outside the grounds of the wastewater management facility? It is not pleasant. It almost ruined pizza lunchables to me. And if you've ever had a pizza lunchable, you know that's next to impossible for you not to enjoy a pizza lunchable. But if you ever have to try to eat one at the wastewater management facility, you start to realize, I may never want to eat anything again. This is really disgusting. And the other team, the other team, they got to go to Cedar Point. They got to take their field trip to Cedar Point. It's at that point where I realized that some teachers really do hate their students, and I had them. Because while we were outside the wastewater management facility, they were riding roller coasters at the nation's premier amusement park. That's right. They were doing scientific experiments on roller coasters, and we were being lectured on how they turned all the wastewater into drinking water. Boy, that's a way to make you want to stay hydrated. That's fantastic. I had to come to grips with the fact that life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. They're riding roller coasters. We're at the wastewater management facility. And when you come to terms with the fact that life isn't fair, you have to, you have to grapple with it. And this morning as we look back at the sacrifice of Jesus and as we look back at the resurrection, we're going to see that so much of our redemption, so much of what Jesus went through was not fair. And if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning. We're going to be looking at the account of Luke starting in Luke chapter 23. If you have your phones or your tablets and you haven't already, I'd encourage you to download the Bible app. It's a great resource. It's completely free. And 
within the Bible app, just type in Bible on the app store of your choosing. It's the first one that pops up. Download that. And once you have that downloaded on your device, you can go to the events feature within and either enable your locations or if you're a little paranoid about tracking, just type in the zip code 54201. And there are Lakeside Community Church will pop up and you can follow along with us. You can take notes. You can write down things. You can contact us that way with prayer requests. It's a great resource and we'd encourage you to utilize it. Uh, but we're going to be looking at Luke. Luke's one of the four Gospels, one of the four major um, accounts that we have of the life of Jesus. We're going to be looking at Luke 23 as we start. And verse 13, realizing that life is unfair and so much of this story is unfair. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Now to give you the backstory of what's going on, Jesus has been arrested. The crowd that a week earlier was, was crying out, save us, has now been turned against him because because there were some very strong forces, the religious leaders, they were opposed to what Jesus was doing, and so they had him arrested, and then Jesus was bouncing from trial to trial. Pilate was the governor of Judea, and, and Jesus would go from his court to the court of Herod's back to, back to Pilate's court. He was just bouncing around like a piece of legislation you'll read about in the news after it's been passed, and this group sues in this state, and this court rules this, and then they appeal it to this jurisdiction that goes to the Supreme Court. In a very similar case is what's going on with Jesus here as an individual. He's bouncing around because the crowd that's arrested him, they want him put to death. They want an end to Jesus, but every court that's looking at him says, we don't, we don't really have enough to do that. We, we can't do that. In fact, Pilate says he's innocent. He's innocent. He's not guilty. And then realizing that there's some very strong forces that still want Jesus put to death, what's, what's the conclusion he comes to? Well, he's innocent, but I'll still punish him. Well, that's fair. He's innocent. I, I, I don't see anything that you've, you've claimed against him. I, I can't build a case against that. He's not guilty, but I'll punish him. Now, there'd be an outcry. There'd be a Netflix documentary about this. Everybody would be losing their minds if, if this were in the modern day that a court were come, would come to the place where they'd say, we find this person's innocent, but yeah, there's a lot of pressure, so... I'll punish him. I mean, make no mistake, that still probably happens today, but we're just not as obvious about it. We just don't declare it. Here, he makes no bones about it. He's like, yeah, he's not guilty, but I'll appease you. I'll punish him. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder? Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. So Pilate says, I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't, he's, not, he's not guilty, but I will still punish him. And the crowd says, that's not enough. We want more. We want him put to death. And now there's a problem that Pilate, who's a governor, he's a political figure, he's got to figure out a way out of this. And that's... That's the nature of politics. You have to keep people happy in order to keep power. And make no mistake, once a politician tastes a little bit of power, that's all they want. 
That's all they want. And they'll continue to use people, but they want the power. And we see it time and time again. And maybe, maybe you're on city council somewhere, and that's not true of you. Okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not calling you out, but I'm just saying time and time again, we see this on display that once, once somebody has achieved it, they will stop at nothing to hold on to that power. And here we have to wrestle with something else. That the crowd, the crowd doesn't want fair. The crowd doesn't want fair. Now, we, we really have to struggle with this concept, especially in our geopolitical system of democracy where the crowd's always right. And here we see that the crowd doesn't want fair. They don't care about fair. That's not their desire. Because they all cried out together. We want more than him just to be punished. In fact... Because there was a system in place where there would be a pardon presented. Pilate thinks, all right, I'll present Jesus against somebody who's actually been witnessed to have started an uprising and somebody who's been witnessed to be responsible for a murder. And certainly then, everybody will understand the the disparity between what Jesus has been accused of and what Barabbas has actually done. And certainly then, everybody will say, release Jesus, because we wouldn't want somebody who caused an insurrection and somebody who's responsible for murder to be released. And yet, what was the response of the crowd? Release to us Barabbas. We want the person released. We want the person pardoned who caused an insurrection. We want the person released. We want the person pardoned who is responsible for murder. That's the, that's the conclusion of the crowd. And here's something else that we need to be aware of in our lives, that we can become blinded to facts because of our emotions. We can become blinded to facts because of our emotions. In fact, our brains are are comprised of about 80 to 90 percent logical thinking, with about 20 to 10 percent being that part of our brains which drives our emotions, and yet 80 to 90 percent of our decisions are driven by our emotions and not our logic. This is why it's, it's absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential that we take a look at the choices and the decisions that we're making and we make sure that they're not built on emotion alone. Because here's just one example of what happens when they become built on emotion alone. And the crowd cries out, release to us Barabbas. But they kept shouting, crucify Crucify him! A third time, Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has Jesus done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. He says, Why? Why? He's innocent. but, But again, I will punish him. I will punish him. And here's another reality that we have to come to terms with, that we can't try to appease people by doing what's still wrong because it seems like it's wrong to because it seems like a lesser degree of wrong. We can't appease people by doing something that's wrong because it seems like it's a lesser degree of wrong than something else. 
And Pilate's trying his best. He, he's trying his best to figure out a way that he can stay in power, that he, this isn't going to cost him his job and his standing and his power. He's trying his best to figure out a way to appease everyone in this situation. And so he arrives at the point where I will do what's wrong and I will still punish an innocent man. But the crowd's having none of it. They want nothing short of the death of of Jesus. And Luke continues in verse 23, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. They refused to stop. They refused to quit crying out. They had their agenda and they would stop at nothing short of it. And Pilate's a politician and he acted like a politician. And that was the prevailing voice of the people. And he gave to them their desire. And again, it's unfair. It's unfair that Jesus is handed over. It's unfair that people in power wouldn't leverage their position to do what's right, but would instead leverage their position just to continue to appease people. It's unfair, and yet that's life. See, all of us have been victims of something that's unfair in our lives as well. And oftentimes when we're on the receiving end of that, we look around and we wonder, how can nobody else see this? Where's the outcry? Where is, where is no one else to stand up for us? And we can feel in those moments isolated and alone, and it's a lonely feeling. And I want to encourage you, maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're going through a situation where people think they know the facts, but they don't know the facts. And people think they know the truth, but they don't know the truth. And there's a whole other side to your story that hasn't been told and people don't know. But you have to suffer silently. And, and maybe it's not even a choice to suffer silently. Maybe you've tried to cry out, and you would tell anybody who would listen exactly what's going on and exactly what's happened. But unfortunately for you, there's nobody seemingly there who's listening. And you find yourself in this position wondering, how is this world so unfair? God, where are you? God, why don't you care about what's going on in my life? Why don't you do something about this situation and about these circumstances? And I just want to encourage you with this. That in the midst of the unfairness, in the midst of the suffering of your situation, God is with you. And he knows firsthand what it's like to be a victim of something that's unfair. And he loves you and he will sustain you. Because the story, the story of Jesus, the truth of what our Savior endured is rife with things that are not fair. And as they led him away, 
They seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So now we have another another person introduced to this story. We now have Simon of Cyrene who's wandering by, and now they pick him out because Jesus at this point, he's been arrested, he's been flogged, he's been beaten, they, they put thorns on his head, and they tell him, you carry your own cross. You carry your cross to the place where you will ultimately be crucified, and you will ultimately die. And he's beaten to the point that people look at him, and he doesn't even look human anymore, and his body breaks down under the weight of all that he's endured, under the weight of the cross. And then they pull Simon, who's just wandering by, out of the scene, out of obscurity, and they say, you, carry the cross. So the story just continues to be unfair. And now there's someone who's not, who's not involved in this in any capacity. Now he's next to a beaten and bloodied Jesus. Carrying the cross. It's most likely that Jesus just carried the the beam that went side to side, but even still, it most likely weighed between 100 and 140 pounds. And now Simon is tasked with carrying that. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren in the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And Jesus turns to the women who are following him and he says, It's going to be unfair. It's going to be unfair for your children. The world in which they live, it is unfair. It's unfair that children are are brought into a broken world and we're reminded of that all the time as we see children have to go through horrors that they should never have to experience. And we shake our heads and we scratch our heads and we say, God, why, why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why do you allow children to be put in this place to endure things that no one should have to endure? Jesus gives us the answer right here. Because this world is unfair. Because this world is broken. Because this world is a disaster. And Jesus says, if this is the world and the reaction for when I am here, imagine how it's going to be when I'm not. And we don't have to imagine because we see it play out day in and day out. And I pity the person whose hope is found exclusively in what this world can offer. I'm not not speaking as though I'm better than them. I really mourn for them. Because all that this world has to offer can be taken in an instant. 
And we see its brokenness on display every single day. But it's unfair. It's unfair that children are brought into a broken world. And two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And finally, finally we see some fairness in this story. Finally, we see some fairness in the story. That there are two other criminals who are led away to be crucified next to Jesus. Finally, some people who are deserving of what's about to happen to them is introduced. And we, we don't really celebrate the fairness being introduced to the story. Our hearts break for it. Because, yes, they're criminals, but still, we don't, we don't want anybody to make the choices that they've made. But this is the first fair thing that's been introduced in the story. We can't even celebrate it because it's the deserved death of two other criminals. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Simon helps Jesus get the cross to the place where he'd be crucified. His body already bloodied, thrown down upon the cross. Where they would take nails and drive them through his wrists. Through his legs. A criminal deserving death on Jesus' right. A criminal deserving death on Jesus' left. Jesus undeserving of any of this in the middle. And his prayer is, God, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. And you think God can't forgive you? You think your mistake's too big for God to redeem? This is the heart of our Savior. This is the heart of our Creator. This is the heart of our God. That the very people who crucified Him upon the cross, He cries out and He says, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And some of you carry around shame because of choices that you made. Some of you carry around shame because of things you've wished for and now you've gotten. Some of you carry around shame because of things you wished for and you didn't get. But just even the thought in your mind, you carry around that shame. And I want you to understand something. You're God understands. He understands you. He understands your flaws. He understands your faults. He understands your, your poor thinking. He understands when your emotions outweigh the logic in your brain. He understands when the logic of your brain outweighs the emotion of your brain. He understands all of this about you. He sees you at, he sees you at your absolute worst, the parts of you you don't tell anybody else about, and he cries out to you, I want to forgive you, and I still love you. And I just want to encourage you, let go of that guilt. Let go of that guilt. God knows better than we do. And if He sees you and He still loves you and His desire is to forgive you, then it's time that you move past it 
and just fall further in love with him. And the people stood by watching, verse 35 says, but the rulers scoffed at Jesus, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of Jews. Here's the reality that as people cried out, Jesus, save yourself, as they mocked him and as they ridiculed him and as they put forth the challenge for him to get off the cross and save himself, he could have liked that. He could have in an instant. But his choice was not to save himself so that he could save you and I. Because the cost of our sin is death. And so somebody had to pay the price so that we could have a renewed relationship with our Creator God. And so Jesus decided to pay that price, because make no mistake about it, it wasn't the cries of the crowd, it wasn't the decisions of a politician, it wasn't any of those things that put Jesus on the cross. The thing that ultimately put Jesus on the cross was my sin and yours. And Jesus could have hopped off that cross in a second had he chosen to. And the greatest pain of the cross of Christ was not the beating, was not the nails, was not the insults. It was the weight of my imperfection. And the weight of my sin and all of my flaws being put upon the perfection and the holiness of God. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Come on, God, do something. He says he's mocking him. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice the different tone. One of them was defiant, and the other was dependent. One of them was defiant. The other criminal was dependent. He understood that his time was near. He understood that death was imminent. He understood that this was the end of his story. And Jesus said to that criminal, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus would die on the cross. He would look at the criminal who, who deserved who actually deserved to die on the cross, and he would tell him, today, because of your faith, today you will be with me in paradise. And here's something that we have to wrap our heads around, and here's something that we have to wrestle with, that none of us want fair, because God isn't fair and grace isn't fair. It is not fair for Jesus to look at a criminal whose life deserves death and to say to him today, today you can come to paradise. Today you will not have to pay a penalty for what you've done. 
Today you can find forgiveness. Today you will be restored. Today you will be redeemed. Grace is not fair. God is not fair. The cross is not fair, but we do not want fair. We want grace. We want the gift of Jesus. And not to have to pay the price that our sin costs, which is separation apart from God. Jesus would die. They take his body down, they'd put him in a tomb. And now we get to Luke 24. Because the cross isn't where the story ends. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Today we celebrate that third day. Today we celebrate the fact that He is risen. He is risen indeed. That Jesus is victorious over sin. He's victorious over death. He's victorious over hell. And we have hope, which is not fair. But thank God, because we don't want fear. We have hope because of the unfairness of our God that put himself upon a cross, that he would take our place, that he would pay the price for our imperfection and for our sin and unfairly offer us hope and unfairly offer us grace and unfairly offer us forgiveness and tell us that if we will accept it, not based on anything we could do, but if we would accept what he's done for us, that we would one day be with him. Fifteen minutes before the service started today, I got the text that I've been waiting for. We could go Thursday, I drove to Ohio to tell my grandpa goodbye. And this morning at 8.15, he took his final breath. And right now, right now while I talk about the amazingness of grace, right now while I talk about the unfairness of our God, he's experiencing it because he's with Jesus. Not because he deserved it. He was a great man, don't get me wrong. He was a great man. He was impatient. He had his flaws. He is a great man. And I love being able to go back to him and just, just tell him thanks for what a great grandpa he was. We read Psalm 23 together and I kissed his forehead. And today he suffers no more because of the hope that he had. 
that there is a God who loves them. Loves them so much that He sent His Son to die in His place and in my place and in your place. But death doesn't win. And sin doesn't win. And the destruction of this world doesn't win. God overcame all of this. And the proof of our hope is an empty tomb. That nobody can point to you where the body of Jesus was placed. Because it is not there. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And the invitation to you is that you would experience grace and you would experience forgiveness and you would experience love and you would make the decision to give your life to Jesus realizing you can't earn it and you don't deserve it. But that's just the unfairness of our God. And it's a beautiful thing called grace. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the grace offered to us. Not because of anything we've done to deserve it, not because we can do anything to earn it. But because you love us. You sent your son to pay the price for my penalty, my sin, all my shame. placed upon himself through a series of unfair events, but God, grace is unfair. And we thank you for that because none of us deserve your love. None of us deserve an opportunity to be with you forever. And Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough to give it to us anyway if we'll just accept it and take it. And so, God, I pray right now for the person who's on the fence. I pray for the person who never has just truly said, God, just here it is. Take my life. And, God, I pray right now, whether they're here in person or watching online, I pray right now they would make the choice to just give their lives to you and accept the unfair gift that you offer us in your grace. That they would say, Jesus, I realize I've blown it. I realize I've made a mess of my life. I've fallen short. And I know you love me. And the cross proves that love. Thank you for dying in my place. And God, I know that you're victorious and you didn't stay dead and you rose again so that I can have hope and I can experience peace. So Jesus, come in my life. I want to follow you. And save me. God, we thank you. 
the same offer and promise you made to that criminal. Later that day, they'd be with you in paradise. You make to all who would call on your name. Thank you for your grace and the hope we have because of it.